This is Ideas Worth Exploring by Mark McDonald. Have you ever thought about how there are so many different types of bugs? Black ants, red ants, carpenter ants, leafcutter ants, honeybees, bumblebees, carpenter bees, leafcutter bees. And not just bugs, but plants and animals too. Bermuda grass, bluegrass, buffalo grass, centipede grass, cockatoos, cockatiels, kias, and cockapoes. Why can't we just have one type of ant, one type of bee, one type of grass, and one type of parrot? That would make it so much easier to remember things. But, sadly, nature doesn't really care what I want. It just does its own thing. And the thing that it does is evolution. Bees and parrots adapted to different environments, and this made them branch off into multiple species. This branching off has been happening throughout all of history. The theory of evolution says that all life on Earth is part of the same family and arose from a single common ancestor through a branching pattern of evolution. Today we're going to talk about evolution, how it happens, and how we learned about it. First, we're going to talk about the history of Charles Darwin, probably the most famous biologist who ever lived, and how he arrived at his theory of evolution. Then, we're going to go over the evidence that Darwin used to support his theory. Finally, I'm going to talk about the mechanisms that let evolution happen, including natural selection, sexual selection, kin selection, and genetic drift. Okay, let's go. What do I mean when I say evolution? Evolution is a gradual process by which things become more evil. Evolution. Evolution, on the other hand, is the gradual change or development of something, usually from something simple to something more complex. You can say that your plans evolve over time, or technology evolves, or fashion or language or social norms evolve. They change gradually, and often they get better, or in some sense, or at least more intricate. The same is true for living things. When we look back at the oldest fossils we have, we see only small and simple organisms. But then, as time goes on, we see that organisms start to have shells and teeth, then legs and arms, until, after a couple billion years, we have full-grown dinosaurs. So, evolution is the trend we have observed of how organisms, animals and plants and other living things, tend to change over time. And over long enough time periods, small enough, enough changes build up that we start to consider the organisms a different species from before. There's some nuance to that this definition leaves out, but for our purposes here, I think it works well enough. Evolution just means change, and change is part of life. But why are things changing to get more complex over time? Why don't things change to be more simple and lose their arms and teeth and shells? One reason for this is that upward progress happens naturally through a phenomenon called natural selection, which is sometimes summarized as survival and reproduction of the fittest. This idea was first explained by Charles Darwin. Previous to Darwin, other people had already had ideas that life could evolve. A man named Lamarck suggested that there was an inherent force that made life want to get more complex over time, and this force made single-celled bacteria eventually turned into multi-celled animals. But that, wanting to get more complex over time, sounds a little like magic, and it didn't really catch on widely. In fact, the idea that one species could turn into a different one was considered radical and extreme. And when you frame it using the common phrasing of the time, transmutation of species, it does sound a little hard to swallow. That's when Darwin stepped onto the stage. Charles Darwin was an English biologist. 
According to Encyclopedia Britannica, while he was in college, he liked to collect sea slugs. After graduating, he joined a scientific expedition to travel around the world on a ship called the HMS Beagle. The ship's purpose was to chart the harbors of South America. On the trip, Darwin made some interesting discoveries. Among many other things, he found the fossilized skull of a giant ground sloth, and he observed finches in the Galapagos Islands that were very similar to each other, yet different enough to be considered distinct species. That got him wondering. Why are such closely related species so often seen close together? And where, why were there fossils of extinct giant sloths in the ground? He hit upon his answer after reading about economics. An economist named Thomas Malthus had become influential for publishing his hypothesis that human population would soon grow faster than the food supply, which would lead to overpopulation and a fierce competition for resources. This had people very worried. Malthus was later proven wrong about human overpopulation because of new technology that let us increase the food supply and because of a trend of wealthier people to have fewer children. But the idea of competition for resources was very important at the time, and it gave Darwin his aha moment. Here's what he realized. Animals reproduce until they're in a state of overpopulation and competition for resources. The individuals that survive are the ones that are the strongest, fastest, best at finding food, best at hiding, or that have some other useful traits. Those are the ones that pass on their traits to the next generation, and the cycle repeats, with the species on average getting better and better suited to the environment over time. That's why his finches were similar but slightly different. They started out from a common ancestor finch, but over time, different populations adapted to be better suited to their different islands. Also, sometimes an entire species will be outcompeted by another species, or the environment will change too much for it to handle and it will go extinct. That's what happened to his giant ground sloths. He called this idea of competition making survival-associated traits more common over time natural selection. Natural because there's no one directing it, and selection because it tells you which traits tend to be passed on. Darwin had discovered a realistic mechanism that would make evolution plausible, and after studying many more examples, he became convinced that he was onto something. But when Darwin told his wife about his theory of evolution by natural selection, she was badly shocked. She was very religious, and at the time, believing in evolution was considered blasphemous. From her reaction, Darwin realized that he needed to hide his views or face some serious social repercussions. He knew that people would hate him for it, and he was already very a very anxious person and didn't want to have to deal with that. Because of all this, he held off publishing his ideas while he figured out what to do. In the meantime, he kept up with his scientific research and became regarded as possibly the world expert on barnacles. Darwin spent the next 20 years gathering more evidence and refining his thoughts. In that time, he built up scientific and social credibility so his ideas wouldn't be dismissed. He fine-tuned his theory and managed to solve all the problems with it to his satisfaction. And, finally, the political and social environment around him changed enough that he began to feel comfortable writing a book. He originally planned to write it in three volumes, but that changed when he got a certain letter. A man named Alfred Wallace was an acquaintance of Darwin. 
and he sent a paper to Darwin asking him to review it and pass it on to be published. In that paper, Wallace explained an idea very similar to Darwin's natural selection. This letter finally spurred Darwin on to publishing some of the research he had done in the last 20 years, and both his and Wallace's papers were published the same month in the same journal. After that, Darwin hurried to finish his book. Instead of a three-volume series, he condensed it down into a single book called On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection. The book had such detailed and convincing arguments that it persuaded many biologists that the evolution of species was real. So, Darwin and Wallace both deserve some credit for the idea of evolution by natural selection, but Darwin did more of the heavy lifting in getting people to believe it. In Darwin's book, he did two things, as suggested by the title of the book, On the Origin of Species by Natural Selection. First, he gave a convincing evidence that different species are of common origin. That is, he convinced people that evolution was real. And second, he suggested a plausible mechanism for how different species could evolve, natural selection. I hope this distinction is clear by now. Evolution means that living things change over time. Natural selection is the mechanism for how they change. Okay, so that's Darwin for you. Now we're going to hit on some of the evidence Darwin used to support his theory of evolution by natural selection. I'm going to very briefly touch on four different types of evidence. Fossils, geography, and two different types of evidence from anatomy. First, fossils. As I mentioned earlier, the earliest fossils we have are very simple creatures. And as time goes on, the creatures get larger and more complex. Fossil evidence also shows that species can go extinct, and that life in the past was very different from how it is now. These two ideas, extinction and the progression from simple to complex, show that evolution happened even in the earliest days of the history of life on Earth. Second, geography. Animal species that are similar tend to be close together. One example is Darwin's finches. Another example is Australia. In Australia, most of the mammals are marsupials. They carry their young in a pouch, which is pretty rare for the rest of the world. This makes sense, because Australia has been isolated from the rest of the world for a long time, so other species of mammals haven't been able to take over. It's pretty common for islands to have species that aren't seen anywhere else in the world, too, because that's where they evolved, and they've never had a chance to spread elsewhere. Third. Comparative anatomy. Different animals are built in a similar way. Four legs and a tail. Plus the legs, or appendages, tend to have at most five digits. Humans, cats, and bats all have four appendages. They just use them for different things. They have hands versus paws versus wings. Whales do too. They have four fins. And when you look at the bones in a whale's fins, they have an arm a wrist, and five fingers. Yes, whales have fingers. Oh, and changing the subject entirely. Human embryos, earlier in, early in their development, have a tail. It grows from the area of your tailbone. The tail is lost before birth, but you, as a human, once had a tail. The tail is a perfect example of number four, vestigial organs, or organs that are no longer needed. Sometimes these only show up early in an animal's development, like the tail of a human embryo, but sometimes they also show up on the full-grown creature. 
Your appendix would be a good example. It's widely considered to be useless. Except that it turns out the appendix might actually help a little to protect your body from infection. So a better example of a vestigial organ is the wings of flightless birds. In New Zealand, there's a bird called a kiwi. Kiwi birds only have little stubs for wings. You can barely see them. They have no useful purpose. They're just the remnants of evolution. So, those are four types of evidence Darwin used to support his theory of evolution by natural selection. Nowadays, we have much more, like DNA evidence. We can see how closely the DNA matches between similar species and use that to figure out when they branched off from their common ancestor. Note how I phrased that, branched off from their common ancestor. You can't really say that lions branched off from house cats or that house cats branched off from lions. They both had a common ancestor that probably looked pretty different from both lions and house cats. They're cousins to each other, not descendants. In the same way, humans did not evolve from chimpanzees. We just had a common ancestor a couple million years ago. Again, cousins, not descendants. Today, in addition to DNA evidence, we also have more direct evidence of evolution. We've seen it happen. When evolution happens relatively quickly, as in only a dozen years instead of tens of thousands, it's called microevolution. Here's just one example of microevolution in animals. Anole lizards are an invasive species that got into Florida. When they arrived in Florida, they were brown. Fifteen years later, the population had evolved to be mostly green, with most of the brown ones extinct. Green helps them blend in with the green environment of Florida. This shows how sometimes evolution can be very quick for animals that reproduce quickly and have a strong selection pressure on them. We've also observed um, evolution like this in guppies, salmon, bedbugs, owls, and many, many species of bacteria. The flu virus changes every year. This happens because of evolution through natural selection. Okay, time to move on. Now I'm going to get into more specifics about natural selection and how it works. Then I'm going to go over two subtypes of natural selection, which are sexual selection and kin selection. Finally, I'm going to discuss two other ways that evolution can happen without natural selection, genetic drift and artificial selection. Okay, so natural selection. Natural selection happens when individuals with survival-promoting traits tend to survive and reproduce more often, which makes those traits get passed on more often. In other words, survival and reproduction of the fittest. Natural selection needs three things, variation, inheritance, and competition. Variation means some animals have fitness-related traits, inheritance means they pass on those traits to their offspring, and competition means that the animals that don't have good traits don't survive as often to have children. When these three criteria are present, and you have many, many generations for changes to build up and a strong selection pressures, natural selection causes organisms to change or evolve to fit their environment. It's hard to imagine how small changes can build up to make a single ancestor turn into two species as different as whales and cats, but it's easier once you understand that evolution is not fast. If you're a fan of Pokemon, you might know that when a Pokemon evolves, it suddenly changes into a new species, complete with a light show and sound effects. I'm sorry to say this, but in our world, evolution does not have a light show or sound effects. And it also doesn't happen suddenly. 
it generally takes thousands of generations before you get any kind of noticeable change in a species. So that's natural selection. There are also subtypes of natural selection that are not obvious at first. When Darwin first came up with his theory of evolution by natural selection, he was really bothered by something. Peacocks. How could such a giant tail possibly help the bird survive? It seems much more likely to get in the way when the bird's trying to escape a predator. He wrote in a letter to a friend that the sight of a feather in a peacock's tail, whenever I gaze at it, makes me sick. But eventually, he figured out how peacocks fit in with his idea of natural selection, an answer, an answer which today we call sexual selection. Earlier I explained natural selection as survival and reproduction of the fittest. Sexual selection says that you don't just have to worry about the survival part, you also have to worry about the reproduction part. Any trait that helps an animal reproduce more often will be selected for. A peacock's tail helps it attract mates. There's multiple reasons for this, but one of the big tails is a sign that a peacock's healthy. And therefore, peacocks with bigger tails will reproduce more and pass on the big tail trait to their offspring. Peacock tails make sense after all. There's one more subtype of natural selection I want to talk about. Kin selection. You have to be careful with this one, because it's easy to apply it to situations where it's not really valid. But basically, here's the idea. You, sh you share 100% of your DNA with yourself. Duh. But also, you share 100% of your DNA with an identical twin. You share 50% of your DNA with your parents and siblings. 25% with grandparents, grandchildren, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, and half-siblings. And 12.5% with your first cousins. Kin selection says that on for a trait to be favored by a natural selection, it doesn't only worry about protecting the body that owns the trait, but it's also favored if it helps your close relatives survive and reproduce. Like how a honeybee will sting you to protect its colony, even though stinging causes the bee to die. You'd think that a trait that causes you to die would quickly die out in a population. But if that trait saves a bunch of its close relatives that share a bunch of the same DNA, then the trait can survive even though the individual doesn't. Don't take this too far. It's only for close relatives. An animal won't altruistically sacrifice itself for another animal that it's related to, that it's not related to. If you think that you see that happening in the wild, there's almost always some reason that the seeming self-sacrifice is actually self-serving and helps the animal survive. So, we have natural selection and subtypes of it, sexual selection and kin selection. There's also another important mechanism for evolution that has nothing to do with natural selection. Evolution can also happen through random chance. This is called genetic drift. If a population is fairly small, then it's a lot easier for random chance to make a trait disappear, or for a trait to become fixed, meaning it's present in 100% of the population. For example, Consider the giraffe. We now acknowledge eight species of giraffe in Africa, where each species is separated geographically from the others. Each species can be recognized by the pattern of spots and by the proportions of different body parts. Do you think that these adaptations helped each species survive better in the region it ended up in? Maybe, but it seems just as likely that it was due to random chance that made each one slightly different from the others over time. Because just because they were isolated from each other. 
That's genetic drift. Okay, so natural selection, sexual selection, and genetic drift are all mechanisms for how evolution happens. Are there any more? There is another kind of selection that you're probably already familiar with, and I'm going to mention it just so you can contrast it with natural selection. You know farming? Farmers use selective breeding to get plants and animals that are bigger, stronger, tastier, and so on, by choosing which plants to pollinate and which animals to breed together. Selective breeding is a type of artificial selection, because a person selects which animals to breed to try to get favorable traits in the next generation. Artificial selection is one way that evolution happens with our food crops. It's not common to talk about it as evolution, but that's what it is. Animals and plants changing gradually over time. It's not natural selection, because it's a person doing the selecting, but it is evolution. There are other mechanisms for evolution. For example, um, random mutations can create new traits. But we've covered all the main ones, so let's be done. But first, while researching this episode, I read about a bunch of animals with really funny scientific names. So, here they are. There's a species of Australian wasp called the Ahaha. It's a type of thrush with the name Turdus maximus. An endangered species of snail in Fiji called the Ba Humbugie. The western lowland gorilla's scientific name is Gorilla Gorilla Gorilla, and the plains bison's is Bison Bison Bison. There are over a hundred species named after characters from Lord of the Rings. J.R.R. Tolkien has a clam, a beetle, a spider, and a frog named after him. Gandalf has a beetle, a crab, and a moth. There's also a whole genus of wasps named after the Shire, with species named after Bilbo, Frodo, Mary, Pippin, and Sam. Harry Potter has some too. There's a wasp named the Lucius Malfoyi, and another one named the Alistair Moody. Several species of spider are named after Aragog. A stink bug is named after Thestrals, and a wasp is named after Dementors. Pokemon has its fair share too. There's a dinosaur named Bulbasaurus, and although the people who discovered it claim it was not directly named after the Pokemon, they note that the similarity of the name may not be entirely coincidental. There are also three species of beetle named after Articuno, Zapdos, and Moltres, and a bee named after Charizard. Finally, there are many, many scientific species named after famous people. It's almost always meant as an honor, since a scientist who tries to name a stink bug after someone they don't like is generally encouraged to choose a different name. But scientists are weird people, and they have no problem with naming a stink bug after someone they appreciate and want to honor. Okay, tangent over. It's time for a joke, and then a summary of what we talked about. I tried reading Darwin's book on the origin of species. The beginning wasn't great, but it got better over time. <laughs> In summary, natural selection happens when you have three things. Variation, inheritance, and competition. Variation means some animals have fitness-related traits. Inheritance means they pass on those traits to their offspring. And competition means that animals that don't have the good traits don't survive as often to have children. Summing it up even further, you might say that natural selection is survival and reproduction of the fittest. And it's a natural way that evolution happens. There are other ways, such as genetic drift and subtypes, such as sexual selection. But when you combine it all together, you find that many of the mysteries of biology become clear. 
You just have to understand that animals and plants are all part of the same family, branching off from a common ancestor as they adapted to different environments they found themselves in. Evolution by natural selection, one of the most successful theories ever created. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Come back next time for more science. Peace. This has been Ideas Worth Exploring by Mark McDonald.